Hello. <laughs> Let's continue worship with a reading from Romans 10, 10 to 15. This is the Indonesian language. Ini saya akan membaca dari Roma 10:10-15. Karena dengan hati orang percaya dan dibenarkan dan dengan mulut orang mengaku dan diselamatkan. Karena kitab suci berkata, barang siapa yang percaya kepada dia tidak akan dipermalukan. Sebab tidak ada perbedaan antara orang Yahudi dan orang Yunani. Karena Allah yang satu itu adalah Tuhan dari semua orang. Kaya bagi semua orang yang berseru kepadanya. Sebab, sebab. <laughs> barang siapa yang berseru kepada nama Tuhan. Akan diselamatkan. Tetapi bagaimana mereka dapat berseru kepadanya jika mereka tidak percaya kepada dia? Bagaimana mereka dapat percaya kepada dia jika mereka tidak mendengar tentang dia? Bagaimana mereka mendengar tentang dia jika tidak ada yang memberitakannya? Dan bagaimana mereka dapat memberitakannya jika mereka tidak diutus? Seperti ada tertulis, betapa indahnya kedatangan mereka yang membawa kabar baik. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can be seated. Just so everyone's on the same page, no one understood that. Um, but today is a special day and we're focusing on uh, something that I'm excited to focus on. Uh, I'm Chris, if I've not met you, um, glad to meet you. Uh, we're having something a little different planned today, but before I let the cat out of the bag, <clears throat> let me explain the why behind the what. We just wrapped up, <clears throat> excuse me, oh wait, I have an announcement before that, sorry. Um, a, a, a remarkable opportunity has um, come to, to this local body. Um, it's a risky one, I'll give it to you. Um, we have a member of our church uh, that spent a considerable amount of time. Uh, David, you here? <coughs> David, present here. Um, oh, there he is. How long did you spend in Ukraine? Uh, just a little over. So, say it again. Just a little over two years. A little over two years. Uh, we have missionaries in our church that, that spent some time in Ukraine and have connections there. Uh, David is working with others right now. I don't keep up with the news very much, but I, but I know what's going on over there. Um, and David is working with others uh, actively right now um, to rescue people from Ukraine. And uh, those people need places to stay. So uh, there's an opportunity for us, for this local body, to be the hands and feet of Jesus um, to, to refugees. Um, if, if that is something that feels feasible uh, for you, um, if you have space that you could spare for who knows how long, we don't know how the story's gonna go. The point is, uh, we have people that are actively trying to get people out of there. Um, and flying them and talking to the state and working on ways to get people to uh, Atlanta. And we have that potential. So um, if, if that might be something that you would be willing to invest in, uh, it's big, right? Uh, David, raise your hand again. Just come talk to this guy right here, okay? It, the, the, the fact that this came up today, uh, that David is pursuing this and made that aware of my attention recently, it just so fits in with what uh, we want to talk about today. So let me explain the why behind the what. Uh, we just wrapped up about a month 
of digging into our new mission statement. And I, I mean, I honestly don't know if I've ever been that jacked to preach. Uh, I literally jumped up and down once, which I'm still a little embarrassed about. Um, but be, because um, for me, um, as God's mission has come into clarity uh, for me, I don't, maybe, I don't know about for us, maybe just for me, <laughs> man, all my lesser, selfish, personal missions have just been shown to be what they are, which are pathetic, short-sighted specters compared to what God has for us, for his mission in the earth. And I have been, y'all, just overwhelmed at the scope of the monolith of joy and purpose and love and abundance and sacrifice, man, and blood, sweat, and tears and full-on pursuit that I feel God inviting me into right now. That's just what's happening in my life, all right? So I don't know if you felt it personally. You may just keep in the seat warm. Maybe you're just smiling and nodding, trying to make me feel good about myself. But for me, man, it has clarified in my own heart what I want to be about. And it has reminded me why I'm in this fight. I'm the kind of person that needs to be reminded of that often. Maybe you are not, but it has done that for me and it has been a remarkable revolution, man, I'm telling you, in my own heart. Um, anyway, of why Jesus is worth my pursuit and why he is worth my exalting his name in all the earth to exalt his goodness amongst my family, to exalt his goodness amongst my friends. I just felt God calling me to put my money where my mouth is, right? And my hopes and prayers um, are that you felt in some way an invitation into that fight of faith um, and that you are willing uh, to, to, to go with me there. Um, I think one of the main shifts that has happened in my heart over the last month, I'm just being real honest with y'all, right? That God, I think, has been laying on me uh, real heavily is that I am not here for myself. Um, we, we can do the church thing selfishly, guys. We really can. We can do the church ministry thing. We can do the pastor thing selfishly. And God has just been rebuking me and saying, you are not here for you, bro. You are here for something greater than you. Not, not just this place, man, just like alive. <laughs> like, not just like this, like alive. Like, I, I didn't just give you life for you. I didn't give you life. You can pursue your, your own pursuits, your own agenda, your own appetites. There's something bigger that I have to call you into, right? Like, I have a purpose that's bigger than my own appetites, right? And this shift has just kind of pointed out that we're, we are not in this for us, man. Like this, you know, I love putting together a lovely service, but it means that we gather to be sent, man, that's what it means. It means uh, it's, it's been a recalibration for my own heart. That he, it's just a whole thing of like he came for the sick, not the righteous. Man, that, all of that has just been flooding in on my heart, man. God leaves the 99 for the one, man. God sends his people to the highways and the hedges to call them into his goodness. Um, because here's the thing. Here's the thing about this idea, about this like ex, extroverted, external type mission, right? If it were up to me, um, I mean, let's just wholly huddle until heaven. I mean, that's where I'm at. I would rather do that. Okay, you know Holy Huddle? You know Holy Huddle? It's like Christianese. It's Christianese for like gatherings that are all about us. I, I love that stuff, man. Like arm in arm, just facing each other, loving each other, you know, right? High-fiving each other, affirming each other. Like, you're awesome, man. Yeah, like, love that. You're good. You're good. You're good. It's group hug. Yeah, right? I love that stuff. Love that stuff. Need that stuff, okay? It creates like this part of... Uh, uh, Unity, you know what I'm talking about? Like we're all in this together, yeah, and we're affirming, and you know, I love that stuff. But my natural tendency is just to stay there. Yeah. My natural tendency is just to say, isn't this great? Like we love each other, we agree with one another. I mean, can you believe that we agree? All oh, that we agree with one another. That's amazing. High five, right? Like I would just stay there. That's perfect for me, right? Let's just make it about our preferences. You know, let's just dial in the 
perfect church service, right? Just the way we like it, right? Get it all right, you know? <laughs> you know the problem with that after a while is? It gets really boring. Really boring, right? Because the conversation just gravitates around us. Con- conversation gravitates around our comforts. It's like, kind of like when those two kids something like, what do you want to do? That's what it devolves into. And then the church gets all these other missions and agendas all of a sudden. In that state of self-focused uh, activity, all of a sudden, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, I don't know. Why don't we do this? Okay, cool. Do that. Let's, hey, let's debate, let's debate Calvinism again. You want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, cool. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. You know, maybe. Right? That's the first problem. It gets really boring. Some of you are bored right now. Some of you are bored Christians right now. Because you've been, you've been in the holy huddle a little too long. Second problem with that, let's chat, come on. The second problem with that is the world just sees our backsides. You've probably been to churches where it felt like, maybe this one, where it felt like, I'm just staring at people's backsides. You ever try to get, do you ever try to get into a holy huddle? Like, it's intimidating, right? You're like, hey, can I just, can I come? Can I, can I, is it okay? Can I hit You're right? Like, the problem with that is the rest of the world just sees our backsides, right? And, and they're kind of locked out, and the rest of the world, you know, in the holy huddle, you get the holy huddle, you kind of like, every once in a while, you'll sneer over your shoulder, you know? You know? At the riffraff, you know? They don't agree with you, think politically different than you, you know? Theologically, they're in a different place, but we got it, you know? We got it here, right? I saw this. This is, I, this is coming to me right now. I shouldn't have. I saw this one fantastic little GIF thing, whatever it's called. It's not called a GIF. Is this a GIF move? Yeah. A GIF move. So it wasn't a GIF. It didn't move. Um, and it was this uh, picture of a, member, uh, a newcomer's meeting. <laughs> okay. And on the whiteboard, uh, David sent this to me. On the whiteboard, it had the beginning of Christianity. I should have brought it up here. Uh, like, so Christianity started here. And then it just like fans out into all these different movements, right? And to where, to where, like, at the end of the whiteboard, it's, like, this big. But it starts here. And the guy in the newcomer's meeting is circling this little area on the way down area with a fan here. And he says, and this is where our movement came along and got the Bible right. <laughs> Love that. Okay. Anyway. Um, a big part of our mission, right, is to help us avoid the holy huddle. It is. Um, it's to help us see that we don't exist for ourselves, but we are called, as Jesus said, uh, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and into the end of the earth, right? To go out in concentric circles making disciples until his supremacy is preached to all peoples, all nations, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, hears of the goodness of God and what he's done for us, right? Or as we let, read last week, to declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous works amongst all peoples. And it starts here and it goes until the end of the earth. Make known his deeds among peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. So part of that, probably part of that mission, the harder part of that mission (laughs) is waking up to the goodness of God right in front of you, right where you live. That's a lot harder if you ask me, right? The harder part of that mission is getting on a mission with God where you live, in your workplace, amongst your family, amongst your friends, right? And pushing back darkness and getting in the game and being about something greater than your own reputation. That is very, very difficult, okay? Let's just get it on the table. It's hard to do that, okay? Another part of that is sending people to the uttermost reaches of the earth to make known the deeds of Jesus among those who have not heard. Christianity, y'all, has a 
unbelievably unique, and I say unique, I mean like no other religion, right? Remarkable history of people who would not rest until the goodness of God is preached to those who have never heard it, right? So today, man, it's my joy to introduce to you um, a family that we get the honor of partnering with um, as they, in a very intentional way, attempt to pour out their lives uh, to make the name of Jesus great among the nations. So Garrick and Anna Duckett, come on up. Uh, let's give them a hand, guys. Give them a hand. Yeah. Uh, so I've known these two a while. I've known Garrick a bit longer. His brother Duck actually leads us in worship um, pretty regularly. And the things you should know about Garrick is that he will pummel you in volleyball. Uh, he, is a, he is a better dancer than you. And he speaks four languages. Uh, Garrick and Anna have been married five years. Uh, they have a baby daughter, Kaya. Yeah, Kaya. Is that right? Yeah. Um, they have invested uh, the past four years of their life. Uh, to make the name of Jesus known to the nations in, in a very intentional way. And so I'm just going to introduce you. We're going to interview them. You're going to get to hear a part of their story, where they've come from, and where they've gone. And I'm just honored, y'all, uh, that you are doing life with us right now. I'll be real. Um, so let's sit, and here we go. I'm going to ask um, a bunch of questions, but the first, probably most obvious question is, you know, who are you, and what are you doing here? <laughs> hey, I'm Garrick Duckett, I'm Duck's brother, and Natalie's brother-in-law. It's hard for me to remember step and in-law, but I sometimes get it right. Uh, yeah, I'm from Georgia, Decula, Lawrenceville, born and raised. I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, they were awesome. We liked to pray together at meals, and, and they would sometimes teach us Bible stories, but then our grandparents were praying for us ever still, but that's part of my story as well. Uh, because of that, growing up in a Christian family, uh, I kind of had a hard head to the whole thing. I wasn't really wanting to go to church when I wanted to play with my friends who weren't going. And I wanted to prove to my family that I could make it without their way and I could still be a good person and I could still do all this. And so I got a kind of chip on my shoulder, a bit of pride about myself. And I just wanted to prove it, build my own kingdom, be successful. And uh, so I grew into a really manipulative person, uh, lying a lot learning things so that I could gain advantage over others just to get my way and spinning stories, learning even languages to try and gather more for myself. Uh, so I lived that way for a long time. And I remember even before I was a believer myself or even understood the love of, of God, uh, at 13 I woke up one morning and I just heard really clearly the Lord say to me, you're going to be a missionary, you're going to be a teacher, and you're going to train people about me. And I said, that's probably not right because, you know, I'm not even, you know, sure about you. You probably don't know what you're talking about. This is not even the Lord. So I pushed that under the rug, grew up, and year after year went through school. I was pretty good at school without trying that hard. And I had a lot of options and I threw them all away. Just not feeling a piece about entertaining any sort of route for myself. Was I going to be a counselor? Was I going to be a teacher, a businessman, an entrepreneur, something like that? And there was never a piece about that either. But each time I would in my youth, my teen years and early 20s, turn back to God in a fear that I had from him, and not even a healthy one, just like, just don't kill me, don't, don't burn me off the planet. I would say, well, God, am I going to be your servant? Like, am I going to follow you and do what you told me that one morning? There would always be just a, a, a surpassing peace in my heart. And so I was like, okay, yeah, no. And uh, I remember when I was 23, I was invited to a church service by a friend. And I thought, oh, this is kind of refreshing. I had grown up in church circles and known, 
you know, that my family always wanted me there and they knew it and, and they prayed for me and stuff. But as a friend invited me, it's like, oh, this is change of, you know, things than I was used to. And I went and that night I heard the gospel more clearly than I ever had. So a missionary who came and he spoke, he had been serving in Papua New Guinea and he shared the gospel. And this weight of performance in deserving God just went away. How, how old were you? I was 23. Mm. This weight of performance and deserving God's love and earning it that I had put on myself went away. And I love that we've been talking about identity and how in the very beginning, God tells us who we are. You're, you're made in my image. He even breathed his life into us or Adam. And uh, it's all his power that sustains us. And we are reflections of him. So it takes all the weight of that performance off us and gives us our purpose from the beginning. And even when we screw that up, God himself provided a sacrifice. He slayed an animal. Blood was spilt. And I love this. It was a joke in Indonesia when we were over there. We were in Indonesia. I'll get there. Uh, but uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And we'd be like, Tanpa penumpahan darah, tidak ada pengampunan dosa. And we would just always say that because it sounds just really beast and it's fun. And so uh, God slayed that animal, covered the shame of Adam and Eve. And in the same breath as he's cursing the snake and the ground and he's telling them the difficulties, he promises at that point that he will provide a savior who will crush the snake while he will still be bruised. And years after years, he would send his prophets and tell about this person who was to come. And then John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. And he's like, oh, it's kind of funny that he's talking about a lamb. You know, it's obviously a person walking down the hill over there. And, and Jesus himself uh, proves to be that person that God provided, God himself, who could only he do the perfect things that we wouldn't be able to do. And, and just knowing that and exalt, uh, uh, realizing that in my life, it was just like, wow, I want to tell everyone. And I went up to the missionary that night and I said, well, I want to tell everyone. And he said, that's kind of the point. And so, <laughs> so that's, that's a little bit of my story. And when, and when did you meet this one? I met her when I was 23. And uh, if she wants to tell that story right, so yeah. that I don't yeah. embellish. Yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll stop her if she's wrong, right? Yeah, because you know the yeah. truth. <laughs> um, hey, everyone. My name is Anna. So um, I was born in Ecuador, and my family and I moved to Georgia when I was 11 years old. So I was raised in Georgia in Gwinnett County. Um, and for me, well, and once we came to the States, my mom had, someone invited her to church. And so the first Sunday in America, we went to church and that's when I was first introduced um, to Jesus. And then at a vacation Bible camp, that's when I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. Um, obviously, through my years of teenage and college, it was like, you know, like everyone, it was like back and forth between the peer pressure and just different things of being a rebellious teenager and just different things. But I always say, I'm so glad the Lord, he never stopped pursuing me. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, so at one point the Lord asked me to go to a training, like a discipleship program. And, um, I really didn't want to go, but I just knew that I had to be obedient. And, um, so I did, I went when I was 18 years old and at the end of that program, 
we had to write a five-year plan, but our leaders told us, um, you don't just write whatever you want. You have to go to the Lord in prayer and hear what he says to you. And so I did. And during that time, the Lord said he wanted me to do missions. And so um, that was the first time I had heard that in my life from the Lord. And I actually didn't really know what missions meant because um, I went to an amazing church where I grew up in, but the only time they talked about missions was whenever missionaries came and said, we need to raise funds for X, Y, and Z, or if they said, so-and-so over here needs money, and that was it. So um, I didn't know what to do with that when the Lord said that to me, so I just wrote it down, and then I moved on with my life and started, I went to college, and then um, since I was a little girl, my dream was to become a lawyer. And so I got my first job at a law firm and I was really excited and then I got promoted. And so I was like, wow, the Lord is really blessing me in this dream of mine that I've always had, forgetting completely about what he called me or what he said about missions to me. Um, then I got another job offer at a different law firm in Atlanta. And so I was like, wow, I'm doing it big. And then I bought my first house and I bought my dream car and I was like, I am doing it. I am living the American dream. I'm an immigrant who came to America. I'm doing it, you know? And I was happy. Then I met this guy, and then I was like, oh, great. Finally, God is giving me, you know, a, a husband that is worth my time, or a man that is worth my time. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, there he is. <laughs> May the Lord pay you. <laughs> And so it was actually, thanks to Garrick, he was, you know, when I met him, he was so passionate about missions, and so that's all he talked about, and that's what he talked about with me at the beginning of our friendship, because we met in 2013, but we didn't go on our first date until three years later. Um, so during those three years, that's what he talked about to me, and so I learned a lot from him, uh, but then the Lord, then we both, once we started our relationship, we knew that that was something that I needed to learn for myself and um, have the Lord teach me too, which is I went to the Lord in prayer um, because we were getting pretty serious. And he said before he proposed, he was like, well, you know, I've been talking about missions and I know that that's what the Lord wants me to do. And I love you. And if we're going to take the next step, then you know, I need to know if this is something that the Lord has for you too, and you need to know for yourself. So um, I took some time to fast and pray, and the Lord gave me several confirmations and reminded me, because like I said, I was just living the American dream, and I had completely forgotten about the calling to missions. Um, so he reminded me of that, and I found that Word document that I had written with mm -hmm. my five-year plan. Crazy. <laughs> yes, uh, like five years later or so. Um, and so then we moved forward, and um, wh while we were engaged, we knew that training was an important thing that we wanted to do. Um, so we started looking into where we might do that. So I don't know if you Yeah, go. Yeah, that's it. That's where I was going to go. Yeah. Okay, good question. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so in January of 2018. <laughs> I'll stay. I'll stay. 2018, we moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we joined an agency that was training people to go to the unreached. How long have you been married at this point? Yeah, four and a half-ish. Oh, before, oh, when you went. When yeah, you went. it was in our first year of marriage. First year of marriage, yep. we're moving to Minneapolis. Yep. Yeah. yeah, okay, go. Sorry. Yeah. 
So in Minneapolis, there's an agency we found, and we won't say its name because of the context we were in overseas. Uh, we don't want to jeopardize our friends over there. So we'll say Southeast Asia or Indonesia without a city moving forward. And if I do that, you can just sharply stare at me. But uh, we found that we wanted to be trained because one of the first advices I got from missionaries was, well, you want to get your message straight. And you're going to encounter a lot of difficulties over there. I just wanted to go with all the energy at 23. I wanted to be there. But I had to pay off my debt. I had to get my ducks in, in a row, more or less. And then I had to learn how to share, not only in my language, but in other cultures, cross-culturally with different, completely different worldviews. We went to Indonesia. We talk about them, sin and injustice. And they're like, well, yeah, we're all sinners. That's not even a worry of ours. Like, we're just trying to do more good than bad. But what we're worried about is shame. And I was like, shame? You know, I felt shame when I was caught jumping in a Speedo behind the condo with my grandmother. But that's not the wait, same wait, wait. kind stop. of way. Let's explore that story <laughs> I feel like we need more details. I'm just kidding. Go, go. So, go, yeah, go, 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 learning go. those cross-cultural communication <laughs> tools and learning just ways to interact with other people we learned how to learn a language, we learned how to share, and then we learned conflict resolution in teams, which was super useful. Uh, we have a ton to learn at this point still, moving forward. Not like we're prepared, but we think that we have found a really great group with which to go, and they know how to fall forward and, and look back at the Word, and we're just passionate about the Word of of God and making Jesus' name famous. So, so, so from so from the get-go of y'all's relationship, it was founded on we're doing this, which is great. It's like you didn't like, get it with like false advertisement and be like, oh yeah, by the way, I want to. You know, I've always wondered that. Like, you know, couples like when they have that realization that we want to do this. There was a check. I wrote a check to her. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, so you guys start this training, and then you're made of a, you're made aware of some stats. Um, mm. that, that kind of provoked your heart. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so um, part of both of our journeys, uh, whenever, uh, if you're ever introduced to missions, um, it's learning about the amount of people, the, it's called unreached people groups. And so the amount of people that have not ever heard the name of Jesus and have no access, it's incredible. So Garrick and I learned, or when we heard about that, that was part of the reason that we said, well, we can't just sit back and do nothing about this. We can't be selfish about, you know, the amount of numbers. As you can see, 5.6 billion people. Are in this window right here. Yes, 1040. which is it's called the 1040 window because if you look at the white area right there, it's the latitude 10 and 40 from the equator. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's still... 6,100 unreached people groups. You guys can see all the stats right yeah. there. So Just the most unreached. Yep. Yeah. So the 1040 window, if you've ever, again, if you ever hear about anyone talking about missions, they will always mention the 1040 window. So that is the area. What about this last one? Uh, 0.5 less than? 0.5% mission? Yep. So that, that, again, when we heard these stats, one of the main issues is that a lot of people go, you know, as missionaries, but the majority of missionaries are going to already reach places. Interesting. So 99, however, percent are not going there. To Correct. Go. That is insane. Yes. We know that. Yes. So that is why Garrick and I, that was actually one of the other reasons we decided to go to the agency that we, that we picked because... 
I'm sorry, is it primarily the religious, uh, you know, what's going on there that is dissuading so many people? Talk, can you talk about that a little bit? Why this is such a, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so you can see that there's some pretty rugged areas in there, North Africa, Central Asia. Okay. So if you would think about it, 2,000 plus years, or about 2,000 years have elapsed now since Christ was with us, and these are the remaining works to be done, the last people to hear. And if there's anything we're up against, it's, it's the dark forces of, of, that we're against, the spiritual forces of this world. So there's opposition there. There are, you know, strongholds, persecution. I mean, These are things. Mostly Muslim, Arab, right? Yeah, mostly Muslim, Arab, Buddhist, and Hindu. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, these are areas that even though people have maybe tried to go, few people have, have stood the test of time there or, or been able to sustain any efforts. And so, yeah, that's why we intercede as well for those people that are going and ask for more workers. So I think we have some slides from your journey so far that you can share with us about Minnesota, and you can talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to get to where you're going. Yeah, so uh, the name is on the board. In Minneapolis, I trained at a school uh, where we learned Bible, theology, and intercultural ministry. Uh, what we were learning was, you got this message down in English, and now you're going to say it in a language you're not familiar with. And they're not thinking the same way as you. They have different emphases in their life than you. Uh, how do you build a team? How do you go there? How do you sustain over there? All powered by the Lord, of course. Uh, but we went up there January 2018. That's our moving truck when we left. And it actually snowed in Georgia before we arrived in Minnesota, which was like, what? Uh, I had a slide later. It's not on this anymore, but it was a frozen waterfall. When we got there to Minneapolis, it was negative nine degrees. And I remember I was like Michelin man unpacking my truck. And by the end, <laughs> there's a funny story at the end of that too. Uh, I had shaved down to like a Speedo. No, it wasn't a Speedo again. It was a tank top though. And uh, so that's our campus up there. It's just a couple of places geographically and the distance from Minneapolis that they send people. Uh, so yeah, it was a really great experience. We formed really great friendships. The organization was uh, super supportive through difficulties, through our wanting to quit and all sorts of things. Um, the Lord was faithful in that season. Yeah, and I'll just share that last picture. So going back to why we picked this um, agency is because while you're doing your training, um, they have you go overseas for 16 months to do an internship as a missionary. And so that was something that was very important to us because, again, we knew that training was important, but we also know that a lot of people can go overseas and then they're like, oh, wait, this is not what I thought it was. And then they end up coming back and disappointed and just different things that can happen when people process yes yeah. and so that was important to us we wanted to go and make sure like okay you know how how is this going to be prepare ourselves for the long run so we did um and that that last picture is the day before we left minnesota to go to indonesia yeah. um so we got chosen to go to indonesia so you didn't pick no wow no so 
depending on the amount of people and like, I mean, right now things have changed a lot because of COVID, but if you look at that bottom picture right there, that is when we got commissioned to go to Indonesia and there's about 72 people that went with, uh, not with us to Indonesia, but it was eight different countries that people went to. Um, and we had a team of 10 people that went with us. And so, um, yeah, well. You were abroad during the Rona. Yes. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah, so we had been there six and a half months and all of a sudden we get a call at nine in the morning from our leaders and they said, you need to be at our house in 15 minutes. And we said, okay, what's up? So background of our island, it's about a million people in the size of Metro Atlanta, 285. And about a third of those are Chinese Indonesian or Chinese immigrants themselves living there. And so we had heard that COVID was happening and starting and we didn't know what to think of it. And there were also Chinese who were unable to visit their families in mainland. And so our leaders brought us in that morning and they said, you have less than 24 hours to pack your bags and leave. We haven't bought your tickets yet. Uh, but you will be leaving within 24 hours and you need to sift through your things in your house to bring what you can. You may never see it again, so just keep that in mind and we'll let you know when your ticket is. Please don't contact your friends because in the culture over there, which we fell in love with, uh, they will jump in your car, they'll go to the airport with you and we didn't really understand exposure or anything back in March of 2020. So, so they it was just getting ahead of lockdowns, trying to get everyone out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So one thing was that, and there was an executive order by the president at that time to say, if you're an expat and you don't want to stay there indefinitely, then get out. Get out. Yeah. And we didn't have an option to renew our visa at that point anymore. So, yeah. So you found yourself at home during the lockdowns and God stuck something new in your life. Let's talk about it. Yeah, so at that point, uh, we just were devastated. We didn't even get to say goodbye well to our friends. The relationships and the language we had learned, we had fallen in love with our team and everything else. So we just told each other immediately, we're going back as soon as possible, and we want this to be our post-training long-term investment. We told everyone in our network, we're going back. And then the Lord said, well, I want you to consider something else for me. And I said, yeah, sure. And he said, what about Japan? And I said, yeah, what about it? And I remember... <laughs> that great sushi. Yeah, I was like, God, I don't know anything about Japan. I remember in our relationship, and had been interested in visiting there. Uh, and I was yeah. just like, yeah, it's simply too expensive. We don't have connections there. It's, it's no place that we'll go until maybe we're older or retired or something. But I just knew Godzilla, sushi, and like... <laughs> and mountains, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. So, but then we had to start thinking about it because... Coincidentally, the Lord had laid it on her heart as well. And so we started to investigate, and I started to study the language just to see if I could do it. It's the and most, it was, isn't it one of the most difficult? Yeah, it's one of the most intimidating languages for an English speaker to begin learning. One, because of face value, it's all symbols. And two, because the sentence structure is completely mixed up. Not even in a specific order to how we would be able. Wow. And, and I have much to learn still. But... Uh, I started Give us a little, to... give us a little something. Yeah, so I began to learn it, and then I said, well, it's really 
useful to learn language with culture. Maybe I'll study the culture too. And that's when we were opened, uh, our eyes were opened to the devastating stats of the spiritual state mm. of Japan. How yeah. for centuries the church has been meeting resistance. And even so much as that tens and thousands were killed off in the 1600s, the borders were closed to any sort of trade. So the Japanese just kind of developed in their own right. And surely there's someone who knows more about Japan in this room than me. So these are the things I've learned. Uh, but for the last 40 years, the church has even been shrinking. And it's down to a size of less than half of all the population, less than 0.5%. And more than half of those are leaders over the age of 65 who in the next 10 to 15 years may not be there if they don't sow into the next generation of torch carriers. So we just thought, there's so much to learn, but Lord, this is undeniable. And like the stats before, we just think that we need to be at least willing to what you're bringing up to us. Second largest U UPG? Un yes. Tell us what that means. So it uh, is the second largest unreached people group in the world. Uh, so there's 6,100 just in that 1040 window, and there's about 7,000 total people groups, uh, which lends to say, how did we overlook that? I thought they were nice people. They had their act in order. I thought they were really hospitable and generous, and they are. So nothing against the Japanese. We have a lot to learn from them in the way that they're generous and, and loving, because yet they are made in the image of God, but it's reflect, refracted a little bit, it's bent. Yeah. And they still are missing the main piece of their true identities. And, and in the slide, it says that there's no grace or second chance mentality in their worldview whatsoever. So a little bit about them, it's an honor and shame society, yeah. once again, like Indonesia. But they get so entrenched in their plight, in their path, in their view of success and honoring those that came before them. They're worshiping their ancestors. They're praying to their ancestors to pour into the successes of the future and the blessing. They get so entrenched in looking forward that they cannot see anything outside of that path. And when they fail, when they let someone down, there's no sort of wiggle room. There's no conversation to be had. They don't even want to bother other people with the burdens that have been laid on their heart because they don't want to ruin someone else's plight. That's what honor-shame culture produces. Yeah, so it lends to self-destruction. You see a large number of suicide per year. You see tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people who have locked themselves in rooms. They're called the hikikamori, the living dead. They just live in their apartments by themselves and they don't talk to anyone outside because they have no one to turn to. So talk to us now. So the, the, the gears have shifted towards Japan. Japan. Um, talk to us about what you are going to be doing. You're planning now to go and, and do over there. Where and what? Yeah, so we have the honor now to join a team there. Uh, they've been in Japan for 37 years. Uh, and their main focus is church planting, but they have also started a school, uh, and they have a, well, a school, like a sec for primary, yeah, K through 12, and then a, mich a missions training school, too, for Japanese to be able to be missionaries in their own country, which is really cool, um, because one of the main things that, um, and even with their church planting, when you go and start a church in another country, um, the cool thing about Japanese people is that they are open to Americans uh, 
to discover what Christianity and what Jesus is. So we will have uh, a great opportunity to be able to share with them and they can come and ask us questions and they're open to that. However, so, so what you're saying is like, just the fact that you're an American gives you a platform. Yes. To, and, and yes, there's, okay. Yeah. And they will just come to us because, you know, majority they of people, learn English yep, or, yeah. majority of people overseas want to learn English. So they'll just say, Hey, can you be my friend and Talk teach me English? Yeah. And so that'll be an entryway for us to be able to, you know, just build friendship and share with them as they come to us with questions about Christianity or Jesus. Um, but again, going back to the missions training school, once they have gone to a point where they want to be disciple, the Japanese are the only ones that can do that for them. And so um, we will be in a city named Nara, and we will be joining that team there. Um, for the first two to three years, we'll be focused on language learning and shadowing one of the more recent church plants that they have. Um, because language is very important if we want to, you know, share the gospel with them or build any friendship. So we'll be focused on that. And then uh, the goal will be at, you know, maybe year three or year four, we will start a church ourselves, but then we will be handing it off to one of, you know, the potential leaders that we see in the community. Because again, it's important when you go overseas that you, the, the, the nationals aren't dependent on you. You have to hand it off, and have them be self-sufficient. And that is very important to us, too. So, um, what's yeah. The, uh, what's the timeline for you guys? What are you committing to right now? How many? Well. <laughs> yeah, so that was a good question. In our surveying of Japan and interviews with the staff over there, uh, they asked us right off the bat, would you be open to committing 10 years or more? Wow. And if you're not, we don't even want to continue the conversation. No way. Uh, wow. Culturally... The Japanese see a lot of people come in. They're a super interesting culture. People visit them and leave all the time. So they will usually not invest in a relationship for someone who's out the door in a couple years. So that was the mentality we had to digest before we considered. And so we've come in with the mentality of, until further notice, if the Lord says stay, we're going to do what we can to stay. And if the work uh, that we've been called to in that church planting effort is not complete, then we want to see it through. And so kind of until further notice, our first visa will be issued for three years. And upon termination of that visa, we will renew at five. And each time after that, we'll renew for five more years. So until, it, uh, until it's complete or until further notice. And what date are you leaving? Yeah, so at this point, we have a goal to be there by the beginning of summer. And there's a couple things uh, before that. We have to finish raising our monthly support to live over there, to eat, to move around, to do ministry. And then uh, Japan has to finish issuing the visa. So next week, we are beginning our visa process to get in the door. And it's really exciting because, praise God, he has proven faithful. And we've finished raising the setup cost, the cash budget to get over there, get established, get the visas, travel, get our house set up. And uh, now we're 70% through that monthly budget, and we just have 30% left to see come through. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, 
Anna and Garrick, have, have, when did you guys start coming? About a, about a year or so? Yeah, like July yeah, so you when guys we landed. Here, they lived close. They started coming. They had connections here. So they've been with us for a while. And I'm just, I was super excited uh, just to interview them today and give you an idea of where they've been and where they're going. Um, there's obviously, Japan is extremely expensive to live, so that's a, that's a no-brainer. Uh, we know that they're going somewhere. It's probably one of the reasons a lot of missionaries don't go there because of how expensive it is to live. Um, that's right. So, so there's very practical things that we can do, and then there's, there's things that we can do just emotionally and relation, relationally with our friends and brothers so the, how, and how we can support them. So I want to encourage you today, um, if you've not met them, they're going to be out in the lobby. They have some things they can give you if you're more interested in learning more about their story and how to help them further. Um, but I want to just encourage you to shake their hand and get to know them um, because uh, they're in this for the long haul and I, I, I want to be in it for the long haul with them and I want to support them. So let's stand together and let's pray for them.